The Law Report with Tyron Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program. Well, as you know, once a month here on the Law Report, we run a legal clinic trying to answer a range of questions on a number of different topics. And tonight, of course, being the second Monday of the month, it's again time to open the lines for you to ask that particular legal question that doesn't quite fit into the other topics we discuss here on the Law Report. So tonight, there's no fixed topic, but... There is actually in a slight way. We're going to be focusing on wills. So you can ask other questions, but we are going to be taking a look at your will and what you should know and what you should be doing. And we're not going to be taking labor law questions and property questions because the property um, program will be on Monday the 28th of October and the labor law again on Monday the 4th of November. Well, just a reminder that there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook. But please do remember to include your email address so I can send them to you. But you could also email me directly on law at safm.co.za. And as it is our law clinic, we're joined once again this evening by attorney Nicolene Skuman, owner and founder of Skuman Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public. Nicolene, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, if you have any questions for us, you can call us on 0892-10-2010, 0892-10-2010. Before we get into the wills side, I think we're going to focus on that initially. There's some rather exciting news coming up, which we can't talk about just yet at Skuman Attorneys. Yeah. What can we be looking, can you give us a hint? What's okay. coming? Well, um, the, the month of November is going to be a big one for us, uh, for me, uh, for more than one reason. Can we tell people why? <laughs> we can. <laughs> so, Nicolene's getting married. <laughs> Excitement. Definitely. Um, so, that will be happening on the 2nd of November. And as such, um, my colleague, Mzo Shaka, will be standing in for me at the next uh, law report. So, uh, while I'm relaxing and um, spending some time away on my honeymoon. Um, further than that, we also have an exciting announcement within the firm. Um, we have posted some clues on our Facebook page and Twitter and LinkedIn. So feel free to, to uh, navigate that way and, and get a bit of a gist of what we're talking about. Um, but in a nutshell, we're going to make a big announcement on the 1st of November. So do watch the, the Facebook page and also the website, of course. And um, I'll, I'll ask you also to, to help us reveal that to well, the Well, I'll listeners. be putting some information up on Facebook tonight. So if you want to find out a little bit, not quite what's happening, but a little taster, almost a yes. little, as they would say, a little... I don't know, an exciting <laughs> little tidbit will be on the Facebook on Law on SAFM will be up this evening. Yes. So have a look at that. And if you think you know what we are talking about after you've read the post on the SAFM um, Facebook page or the Law at SAFM, then maybe you um, can tweet about it. We've got a Twitter handle, as they say, or a hashtag rather in, in proper speak. Excuse me, I'm not that technically um, you savvy. Might, you're doing much better than <laughs> I could do this, so carry on. <clears throat> so um, uh, if you feel you know what what we're going to announce, use our Twitter handle, which is the at sign, skuman underscore ATT, and then also add the hashtag tailored solution. Uh, so you'll use the, the hash sign and then a tailored solution in capital letters. And then post whatever you think you we will be announcing. There's some really exciting prizes up for grabs to some lucky person who makes a, a spot-on guess. So uh, the floor is really yours. We've had quite a bit of participation on Facebook and on Twitter. So uh, we thank those that have already taken part. And 
feel free. It's it's a it's an exciting next step for all of us, and um, we want uh, everyone that has had a, a part in our journey to celebrate with us and to guess and be excited along with us. Oh, that sounds rather exciting! So keep a lookout for that on Facebook. It'll be up there this evening after the show, and uh, maybe you'll be the lucky winner of whatever it is. Mm. The prize will be apparently it's rather exciting, and uh, see if you can guess what they are going to be announcing. Yeah. Oh, can't wait. <laughs> right, so now I get down to business, well, more business. Wills, it's your mm. favorite topic. Oh, yes. Mm. Um, so we just had Wills Week, and oh, so yeah. how did it go for you? For us, we were we were quite busy. Um, we were fully booked about two weeks before the Wills Week started, give or take, and um, we were really full to the brim. So we, we're glad to announce that we could help quite a few people. As it always happens with the World's Week, we had a few people that misunderstood the the purpose of World's Week. So we had quite a few people bringing other legal questions to us in those time slots, which is um, somewhat of a shame as someone else misses out on the time slot that is now too short notice to uh, replace with someone else. But be that as it may, we we did in excess of a dozen between all of us. Obviously, still in in process of finalising here and there. We need still need a, a name or an ID number to to conclude the document. But overall, I think for us, we can really say that it was yet another successful drive, and hopefully, we can partner with a few NGOs, NPOs next year, and um, really do focus our efforts on on our communities that really need the service most. Right, so before we get to the calls, let's just go through some points. Uh, why, first of all, we need a will? Because a lot of people think, oh, well, is it really that necessary? There's a common misconception that you only need a will if you have a lot to bequeath or a lot to leave behind in terms of money. Um, I've always said to, to people, you have a few indications of when you need a will. First things first, the minute you have debt, whether it's a a store card, a clothing account, in other words, or whether it's a student account for studies. You need a will at that stage or you need to make some form of provision as to who's going to pay for your debts. Sure, your parents can, can fit the bill, but surely if not all our parents are in that position to be able to do that. And essentially, if you don't leave a will behind, you don't have any spouse or descendants, then it falls back onto the shoulders of your parents. And in many instances, as I say, they're not in a position to assist. So if you have any form of debt, big or small, you need to have a will. Secondly, um, obviously in my view, when you get married, it's not just about you anymore, it's about another person as well. Make sure they are looked after, that there's proper provision. And having a will makes the administration process much easier. So even if... And this is maybe where the misconception or the was born. Um, even if the interstate succession, in other words, not having a will, has the same practical effect as your will, it's still better to have that document, the will, in place because it cuts down on having to check certain things. If there are any descendants, if there are any children that someone may or may not know about, and that drags out the administration process. And if... Time is, is money, really, and if finances are of concern, then it's really of the utmost importance that we wrap things up as soon as possible. And especially if you have property, things like property, children, even pets, 
yeah. it's it's essential that you make some sort of provision yes. that they, that your the people left behind will know what your wishes were. Yes, and and when we talk about marriage as being one of the key factors, um, I would assume it goes without saying. The minute you have a baby, then it's it's even more non-negotiable than it was when you got married um, or even if you don't get married and you have or adopt a baby then or a child then you need to make provision who what if something happens to you who's going to be the guardian remember minors cannot inherit so if we don't make proper provision by setting up for example a testamentary trust or in some instances an inter vivos trust then our children are not well looked after then those monies go into the guardians fund which with respect is not ideally managed in terms of getting regular payouts and all these things so really I, I feel there are certain life events so marriage children adoption and those divorce kind of things. is another one divorce you might course. have you might have a, that's the other thing just yeah. because you made a will 20 years ago it <laughs> yes. might not still be relevant today Totally. You know, your children have grown up now. You, they don't need to have the guardians in there anymore. Yes. You might, you might have had more children since you wrote the will in the first place and you've only named the one and not the other two or the other one. I mean, it causes drama of note. Yes. Or you've left everything to your husband who's now your ex-husband who's remarried and you really don't want them to get all your money, I'm almost sure. Sure. So possibly you should consider this every time there's a life-changing event, yes. whatever it is, Definitely. you need to change your will. Definitely. It's not a once-off no, totally not. And and that's the other misconception we often find specifically during the Wills Week, where, where people think, okay, I'll get this will done through you now, and I never see you again. <laughs> that's it, John. Which, which, you know, in some instances, we can really relate that really the, the resources are really not only scarce, sometimes non-existent. So we always say to those clients, when they do come and see us, don't make this your last visit. Save up. It's going to cost you a couple of hundred rands just to amend a few minor things. It's going to be oh, someone's time to sit down and hear exactly what needs to be done, then to advise you on the proper way of doing it and then to do it. So if it can all be done in an hour, it's not that expensive to have this done um, on a paid basis. So quite, quite relevant then to say maybe I should put a little money aside each month um, for purposes of amending my will. The other thing about a will also, I find that you need to tell somebody you have one, firstly, and you need to tell someone where it is. Yeah, that's quite relevant. Don't I, make it and then hide it somewhere. No one knows you've got one because then they might yeah. think you don't have one. <laughs> or all your policy, policy schedules that are not kept properly. You then, should have a list. This is me being totally neurotic. Yeah. You should have a list with your will so that yes. it's all in one place. That's, that's perfect. You should have that list and even go as far as maybe a list of passwords and, and sensitive information because... One doesn't think about these things, but who knows your ATM password or your um, credit card PIN um, these days, um, or family members and so forth. So in many instances, yeah, sure, there is a, a, a procedure for having the money transferred from those banking accounts into the estate banking account. So it's not such a train smash, but I'm, I'm specifically referring maybe to computer passwords and all, all these other things these practical little things or logging in if you have a business into the, the business website for example um, and you're the only person who has those those details or the inter internet banking profile and now no one can be paid because you didn't make any provision for that so it's about 
being very practical about what you have in terms of policies or at least writing your broker's name down on the will Something. if you don't want the policy schedule attached to it. Um, also to revise your will, not just with a life-changing event, but possibly we recommend at least once a year just to see if everything is still as it should be or maybe a, a tax directive has been um, pr promulgated or maybe there's another development, a better way of doing certain things. So many, many triggers. And then, of course, um, these days I, I saw an email uh, floating around. I haven't checked out its authenticity as yet, but definitely something we could um, look into for the next show, pro probably. Um, but there's, um, I believe, uh, through the an affiliate of the Law Society, they're creating a central database of every single living and normal will executed in the country. So... At the moment, we're advising clients, please tell someone where you're putting your will and we keep another copy in our safe, as most attorneys do. Um, hopefully, when this is up and running and I've done a bit of research, I can report back at the, in the next session and say, you know, is this a legitimate platform or whatever have you. And I think that's a fantastic idea. Even if this is not legitimate as yet, it's definitely something we can recommend um, to, to the relevant parties to say, you know, why don't we have a central database for every person signing a will in this country? And once every six months and the attorney, or once every month, actually much more regularly, the attorney who so drafted the will uploads it to this database. And that way, it's a, a click of a button away to see if someone has died with or without a will. Uh, that sounds like a really good plan. Just a reminder, you tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Kyron Key, and this is The Law Report. My guest tonight is attorney Nicolene Skuman, owner and founder of Skuman Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries, public practicing here in Cape Town. We're doing a law clinic, so no fixed topic this evening, but specifically looking at wills. If you have any questions, you can call us on 0892 10 2010. <clears throat> we had two emails, Nicolene. Um, mm -hmm. The first one was a little scary. Um, yeah. it's, I imagine this is from the husband in the marriage. He says, a married in community of property, but a specific bank, which we won't mention, and other loan sharks, he says, have given her money without me being involved. Mm -hmm. They're now garnishing her, and they're not taking money from both of us, but they allowed her to sign. Mm. Help me, please, he says. Is well, that Can they do that? This married in community property thing, does that then give everybody the right to access him and her? Well, it's a bit of a complicated situation in that one needs to see when the debt was actually incurred. Generally speaking, when you solemnize your marriage, that which you have at time of marriage, you bring into it. So if you have a student loan and a credit card debt and so on and so forth, then that comes into the marriage with you. And that does unfortunately become your spouse's problem by virtue of the nature of the marriage. Just for clarity for, for anyone listening, the marriage in community of property essentially creates one joint estate between the two spouses. It's an undivided, fictitious pool, let's call it that, where everything you currently have in terms of what you collected before your marriage and everything you'll have during the subsistence of your marriage or the existence of your marriage will form part of this joint pool. So positive stuff and negative stuff. Positive being assets and negative being liabilities. I sort of read this that so, they were married in community of property, but and this happened the marriage. But after the after the marriage, yes. suddenly so, she was getting all these loans without him co-signing by the sounds of it. So generally speaking, 
the minute you enter into the marriage, because there's this joint pool that you've now created, there must be some regulation. I think logic only dictates uh, that um, in terms of, of, of that. So we need to be quite clear that be, when you're in a marriage, in community of property, one of the really bad things in terms of the administration is that you have to ask your spouse for consent for pretty much everything you do. Whether it is to open a banking account, to incur debt, to alienate property. So you can't just go off on a whim and ring up exorbitant accounts. Now that's what the theory says. However, in order to get a garnishee order, you have to have, it had to be followed or pre, uh, it had to, that the, the garnishee order, I beg your pardon, would follow a certain procedure. So your summons and your notice of intention to defend if it's a defended action. It go, goes through this entire process until it gets to a point of judgment. Or if you haven't responded to the summons, it jumps directly to, to, to judgment. And the point I'm trying to illustrate is that other party would have been cited in the summons, would have been served equally, and would have had the opportunity to say, you know what, this transaction was illegally entered into on the basis that my consent wasn't obtained and I'm the other spouse. So only by way of default, in other words, not reacting to that, could this have happened. But now, I mean, he says that this bank and other loan sharks have given mm. him money without his consent. But mm. this this bank he mentioned, whose name I'm not going to say, is not a small little bank. No, this of course is a not. brand so bank. Surely they should ask or don't they ask? No, you know what, what would happen is the summons would cite No, I'm saying it's for giving her the for giving her the loan. That, sometimes, sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. That's, so could that's, he actually afford this on the on the basis that he, they shouldn't have granted her the yes, loan without his consent? That happens. It happens quite often. When so he people, could actually query this. Yes, of course he could. And if it happened after the marriage. If it happened after the marriage, and obviously if procedure wasn't in fact properly followed, um, you know maybe this is, as you say, quite a well-known institution. So let's, um, you know, let let's give both parties the benefit of the doubt, but um, the, what we in practice often notice is that people are served with papers, they don't react on the papers, and then they sort of only notice it when it comes off the salary. Is it too late now for him to go back and say, look, this doesn't sound legal, she shouldn't have been no, granted this loan? Even though they are now garnishing his salary as well, he can still go back and query the fact that she was granted the loan in the yes. first place. You will have to bring what we call a rescission of judgment application. And also it will be coupled, not to become too technical, it would be a, a twofold application. A, to stay the, the garnishee and B, to rescind the judgment. Now, um, on the basis, of course, of making sure that you've got all, all your ducks in a row in terms of evidence, but importantly, in order to do this, listener needs to know that there's a time limit. There's um, give or take a 10-day time limit um, when you first became aware of the garnishee, wherein you must make this application. If you fail to do it, you need to prove good cause. Is that why. condemnation? Yes. Do you apply for condemnation? So okay. it can become a little complicated. So maybe first things first, seek advice take all the paperwork to an attorney, have them assess your case. In many instances, um, if both parties benefited from the money so borrowed, then it, you know, it, becomes, it becomes quite um, difficult. Quite difficult to prove. So you can say, you know, I didn't sign, but also 
you condoned it by helping spend the money. Unless, so of course, it was spent on fabulous shoes or something, you know. <laughs> you know, so then it you depends on the circumstances. Okay, all right. So there is some light at the end of the tunnel, but it depends. Yeah, I think take your case to an attorney. You can properly assess it and take it from there. It's okay. not make, give any false, uh, no false, false hope. hope or promises, but generally speaking, there should have been a proper consent process by both spouses. It often, for whatever reason, doesn't happen. And, and we see this case when people don't react to court papers. So if you don't remember anything about the long story about this this poor uh, person's situation, do remember if you are served with court papers, don't just leave it. If you don't agree with why they're being served, mm. query it. it now. Don't think, yes. well, I'll do it next month because then it's too late. Yes. Right. The other email is, it's a very long story, but basically the bottom line of the whole thing is that the listener who wrote in is retiring and effectively was initially told that he could get his lump sum pension paid out when he retired. Mm. They then subsequently changed their mind and said, no, actually, you have to get a monthly pension. But the monthly pension is very low. It's 932 mm. rand a month. And the listener says that he cannot survive on that. He can't get the old age grant because he's receiving this 932 mm. rand a month, which is nothing. Oh, yeah. And But they won't pay him out the, the lump sum. And now he wants to know, can he, how, how does he go about getting out the lump sum? And I think you said before we came on air that, Unfortunately, that's just the way the pension funds work. Yeah. It um, depends on what it says. It depends on what it says, but um, we, this is a, a statutory regulated pension fund we're talking about. So that means it's governed by a specific piece of legislation. And um, more than that, it's the unfortunate thing about a pension fund is you have the one-third, two-thirds rule. So... A portion gets paid out in lump sum and the remainder um, gets paid out in, in installments or as the insurers call it, an annuity payment. So you'll receive a, an equal monthly amount for the rest of your life usually. So in a nutshell, remember when you are of retirement age, an income tax portion is deducted before your lump sum payout and your monthly payout is received. So that is... If you look at the amount he's quoted in this email, that's what has also substantially affected what he gets out at the end of Because I, I couldn't of quite understand. He, he gave out two. He says he gets a lump sum of 240000 yeah. And then he says the lump sum I was going to get on retirement, more or less 80000 I'm assuming that's the lump sum. And then after that comes the okay. monthly pension. What I read it as, and, and purely from, from the fact that I specialize in estate planning, which involves mm. retirement planning um, and wills and, and trusts and all these things that I'm so passionate about, the 240000 is the uh, is the fund value. Okay. So that's the total value. The one-third, two-thirds rule, 80 of that is receivable as a lump sum and the remainder in increments. So he, he should have got the 80,000 paid out initially minus the tax and everything else. Yes, he needs to go and see. But obviously, the only way we can check these figures is if we have all the paperwork and we can see what the, the fund value is at, at retirement date. We can look at the relevant tax table because it's not like our income tax. It, it has a very easy sliding scale that you can follow. You make that deduction. Um, but obviously that deduction is also affected by a number of other factors. If you've received retrenchment monies before, if you've received, in other words, severance packages, if you've previously received any uh, withdrawals from your pension fund, you can transfer pension funds. If you've changed jobs and all such things which affects the 
the lump sum you get out at the end of the day. Because he also says that it's a quite an involved story. He works now for a subsidiary of, mm. he was working for a subsidiary of a government institution, mm. but he then was taken into that institution and he works for them. But when he left the subsidiary, mm. um, he was paid out his provident fund, mm. but he didn't get a retrenchment package. See, now, and that's, that can have a taxable implication mm. on this lump sum, which may or may not have been disclosed to this person, and therefore they can't understand the calculation at this point. So the, best, very complicated. the best thing would be either to approach a specialized attorney who specializes in this, who can help this person do the calculation and make sure that things were done properly, um, and also then, uh, alternatively, uh, an insurance broker who can then contact the fund and get them to do an exposition of, okay, this is the history and this is from the SARS point of view, the taxation that has been deducted, and that's why there's only an X amount um, payable. I think it goes full circle back to when we deal with wills, and we couple that with estate planning to minimize your taxable liability in a lawful manner and also to make sure that the administration of your deceased estate is as smooth as possible. Also, make sure that you know whether you are properly covered for retirement or if you have a shortfall. The sooner you know if you're properly covered, the more time you have to make it up. Often we have clients at 58, 59 years of age who are very close to retirement age that sit in this position that realize I cannot survive on this pension payout that I'm due to get. Then you must either reduce your living expenses or you must continue working for longer or you must see if you can afford an alternative or additional retirement vehicle. So it all goes back to prevention is better than cure. Right, now that I'm totally depressed, <laughs> take, take some calls now. Dennis sure. and Harry Smith, hi, good evening. Good evening, how are you? Fine, Dennis, how are you? Very yes, fine. Yeah, uh, my question is uh, concerning a uh, uh, certain wish. Uh, okay, my my aunt was married to to to, to her husband who, who was deceased. Mm -hmm. So it was a... Uh, African marriage, a multiple marriage. There were three wives. Okay. Yeah. So uh, on the will, uh, it was everything was bequeathed equally to the three wives. However, there was uh, that if they survive me, something like that. Okay. So my aunt passed away, being the first first wife, mm -hmm. and she had kids. Yes. So it means she was automatically excluded. Okay. Are you yeah. asking or saying? No, uh, I'm saying. Okay. So, however, when they went to the master, yes, he said because even the children of the of the other women are going to benefit as their mothers are going to benefit. Yes. So it is quite fair that even the other children. Although their mother is deceased, she will also benefit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is it possible? Yes. For them to benefit, and how do they go about doing this for them okay. to benefit? Okay. Well, let's say you've got the three wives, and yes. um, the estate will then be dis the distributed equally in one third shares to each surviving yes. wife. Let's call it yeah. them that. But one of the three has now passed away and let's say that person has two children then that third yeah. will be divided equally between her two children who step into her shoes as if she was still alive 
That concept we call um, uh, per sterpes in, uh, in Latin, which means the descendant of the deceased can represent uh, such a person who, um, or the descendant of the deceased in terms of the wife now, um, can represent that person at inheritance. It's, it's one of the rules laid down by the Wills Act. So um, if they were not family, let's say, for example, your uncle um, left his estate to his friend A and his two wives, B and C. If friend A passed on before um, your uncle passed away, then his children cannot benefit. So you need to be related family-wise in the yeah, bloodline no, okay. Okay. for that rule to apply. I don't want to get too technical, but yes, it is possible. Yeah, but you, you know the, the one thing which uh, was used to exclude them. As she passed away before mm -hmm. uh, the uncle, mm -hmm. when uh, uh, he passed away, mm -hmm. the, the other women only, or the widow only said, uh, as, as survived me. Mm -hmm. So they used that that very small sentence uh, uh, mm -hmm. to exclude these children. Okay. And yeah. and you say the master of the high court agreed with this because how I understood your, your statement was that the master felt that the two children could represent this this uh, deceased lady. The wife, yes. in other words. Yeah, one of the wives. They were told so, but oh, what procedure to follow? Should they get a legal representative yes. or should they go where do they start should they go to the court or where do they start they should challenge the will the rule there's a provision in the wills act i i cannot recall the specific section from the top of my head right now but it's either in section two or section three if i'm not yes. mistaken of the wills yes. act it's very very early within the act which it states clearly you can be represented by your descendants if you are related to the deceased. In other words, through a marriage, not some friend or, or yeah, yeah. something because like that. Are, then children yeah, can represent the blood you. children of the, 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 the deceased. Sorry, oh. are there are blood children? Mm. Yeah. Then they must then they must get themselves some legal representation, um, and at least uh, find out if the will was was properly termed. Remember, there's another side to it as well. When, they, when the children are blood-related, the, the duty of maintenance, regardless of how one is married, traditionally or, or in a civil marriage, your, your duty to maintain your children doesn't end. So the surviving two children um, can always bring that claim either on the basis of the Wills Act, as I've explained now, or they can approach the courts on the basis of their right to, to be maintained and taken care of if they're still minors. Oh, okay. So get but legal they're, representation. They're adult, the other one is just a challenge. So. Oh, even, even, even more so then, get legal representation and, and take this on. Oh, okay. Okay, Dennis, thanks for getting through. Good luck. <laughs> good luck to you on that. Good night. Pumlani in Peter Maritzburg, good evening. Hi. Hi, Hi Pumlani. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, you guys. Fine, thanks. How can we help? Uh, I'm here. I'm on a different topic. Uh, I heard that it's the law clinic. Yes. I wanted to know about um, maintenance. Mm -hmm. Yes, maintenance. Um, one, of my, one of my brothers has a child. 
mm-hmm. one of my one of my brothers has a child, and this child is like he's really old. He's like uh, eighteen this year, turning eighteen. Yeah. And the thing is, they had um, an agreement with with the with the maintenance court that uh, they would pay like he was born like in nineteen ninety four. I can't remember ninety four, ninety five around those times. And then they had a, an agreement uh, when he was born that. You would pay maintenance on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. The thing is, uh, my brother like kind of disappeared, mm-hmm. and then um, I'm not sure whether there's like I I heard somewhere, but I wasn't sure that that child the the because uh, the family the son's uh, mother's side couldn't uh, track down the father. Yeah, they. Could they uh, come after like all these after the past eighteen years? Cause he only paid like once, mm. and then claim um, maintenance for uh, for all these years. Or I'm not sure. So have they found your brother now, Pumlani? Yes, uh, they, they found, found him. him now. Can they get back paid maintenance? Well, it depends on how the court order was structured and um, maintenance for spouses or ex-spouses as well as children are governed by virtue of court order. So the court order usually sets out the parameters for the amount of maintenance, what it will be used for, if there's medical aid provisions and so on and so forth. So, And also when it ends. So I must say this is not my field in terms of bringing these applications practically. Um, I I do commercial law and um, continuity planning, which is where the, the passion for the wills and those kind of things come in. So um, from that general knowledge, I have to say in the time that I did practice that field of law, I never encountered a backdated payment of that kind. And obviously, if the claim is made at this stage, then your brother's welcome to oppose it and to say, you know what, I'm not in the financial position to pay this claim. But, and also, and I don't want to encourage this necessarily, but to say that um, one one would, um, the child is of age or almost of age and therefore paying maintenance at this point won't serve the purpose maintenance is supposed to serve. It's done and it's gone, you know, paying for school fees and clothing and books and all those kind of things. It's been done. Um, and that's what maintenance is for. It's not a, a, a payment to, to soothe any other damage claim or need of any kind. Okay, so, the thing, and another thing, like, couldn't the mother say then on that basis, like, uh, she occurred more costs on that, let's say, because the father, the father was like working and stuff. Mm. He, he, like, there wasn't a change in the, in the financial his financial position. Like, he, he hadn't lost a job, or it's just that he got married elsewhere, and and he had kids. That the problem was tracking him down. And then couldn't the mother, on that basis, come and claim that, cause the father knew and. There wasn't a change of cause of, of his lifestyle. He, he the mother should, uh, the father should have paid uh, some of the cost that the mother occurred uh, throughout the, uh, the past eighteen or so. Maybe let's say not that, because I know the 
legal age. I think it's up to 18, I'm not sure. Because yeah. yeah. it, it came for like the past 17 years and then... Yeah, well, you know, she might have a. I mean, you know, she, she may could, have a claim, but then it will be a damages claim from her side. It won't be based on your maintenance court order. She'll say, you know, you've caused me hardship because I've had to look after your child and you never contributed. And on that basis, please, please reimburse me on the da basis of a damages claim. And they'll just use the dam the the maintenance court order as evidence as a, a document to be put forward to court similarly at that point he's welcome to oppose such an application or such a an action that could be taken and to to put his side of of the case and the court will listen to both so anyone can bring a claim whether or not it will be successful on the other hand is a matter to be decided by a judge in my view um, based on my interpretation of what maintenance is all about. Um, maintenance is about paying as the expenses incurred for maintenance in terms of education and clothing and those basic needs of children and not for damages or, or bad blood between the two adults concerned. So what's done is done. In my view, you cannot go back in time and bring an application with that existing court order and you can successfully possibly oppose it on the basis of it's done and dusted. What is by, let bygones be bygones and the child is almost of age, which means he'll be independent soon. Okay, Pamlani. So I think if, if proceedings are launched, get yourself an attorney and oppose it. Okay, thanks. Okay, okay. thanks, Pamlani. Good night to you. Christine, also in Peter Maritzburg. Good evening. Uh, good evening. My name's Christine. Hi, Christine. Um, I'm referring to some advice you gave a little while ago in regards to wills. Yes. Now, you advise that people should store their will and tell people where they've kept it. Yes. And you also advise that you should put in with your will details of your passwords and financial de information, that sort of thing. Mm. Now, that doesn't sound very secure because some... Uh, unscrupulous people could look at your will and find out who's going to benefit and maybe just kill you so that people can get money and yes. also they can get into your financial records and maybe um, do you out of your money it doesn't sound at all secure okay well hopefully we we don't all have people surrounding us that would want to kill us for our money but um from a business owner's perspective, I've seen many colleagues and in the same position as I am um, who are the sole responsible person for key functions within a business, including logins to, to websites, including logins to e-filing on SARS and all of those kind of passwords in addition to your banking password. Naturally, some of our private banks have all sorts of, of, of secured measures where you could make provision for the event of passing on and, and giving someone access to your account. There are many ways. Some people will prefer leaving a, a list of, of uh, key information or password protecting it on a, on a computer hard drive and making a, a relevant provision which suits your specific circumstances, concerns and needs. Um, what we suggested was merely a, a practical measure to say, leave a note about where to find your will or put it in your safe, give someone you trust the combination when the time comes 
etc etc so obviously it's it's not advice that needs to be blanketed um, completely one needs to to uh, align it with your circumstances and needs if it can be proved that someone has actually um, murdered you because they see that they're going to inherit there's a simple rule in our law regarding that where if you can prove the person um, that someone has killed you then that person is excluded from inheritance there's quite a substantial amount of case law um, actually de backdating to the Roman times so um, it's up to every person to to um, make arrangements that would be most practical and feasible for their situation Many people have banks um, that also have safety deposit boxes, as the Americans refer to, and you keep your secured information there. And you give your attorney the key or you give your attorney a password, and the person who comes to read the will then hands over the password or the key to the safety deposit box which contains your personal information free from abuse. So it depends. Some people yeah. um, in frail care, for example, often leave banking passwords for for daughters or sons or loved ones that they can trust to manage their affairs in the transitional process. Okay, thank you very much. Okay. Thanks, Christine. Right. Good night thank to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Just a reminder, in our last quarter of an hour, you tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is The Law Report. My guest tonight is attorney Nicolene Skuman, owner and founder of Skuman's Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public, and their practice here in Cape Town. We're doing a law clinic tonight, so no fixed topic, so if you have any questions, you can call us on 0892-102010, Stanley in Springs, good evening. Hello, how are you, Karen? Very well, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I've got the two questions. Mm -hmm. Okay. The first question I want to ask is, uh, is it possible that uh, I can disinherit my kids or some of my kids um, uh, in a way? Okay. How old are they? Uh, they're still very young, but uh, so like, like I just want to know if maybe uh, like a father disinherits his kids. So that's the law allow that uh, to, to, to happen? Um, usually there are, are quite a few um, provisions you need to take into account, and we may have mentioned this in one of the previous calls. So um, you need to con consider the fact that you need to make provision for your surviving spouse. There's a piece of legislation that, that compels spouses to maintain one another. And in effect, uh, that prevents them from disinheriting one another. So that's from the wife or the spouse's perspective. And then, of course, from the children, as I mentioned earlier, your children have a right to be properly maintained. So, of course, if you leave your entire estate to your surviving spouse or to the mother of your children, so to speak, then, of course, um, she would, would then use the funds to give them a secure home and upbringing and so forth. So... It really depends what one is trying to achieve. If you're concerned about um, their, their ability to manage funds uh, or to manage a large, large amount of money, then maybe a, a trust is a better alternative. So it really depends on why you, you're specifically looking at, at not leaving them an inheritance. But generally speaking, they do have the right to be properly maintained. Okay. I know that one. So I think I understood you. Okay. So 
the question, the second question I want to ask here, since I, I, I've been listening to, to this law report show, so um, it's been quite very, very much interesting mm. to, uh, to to know, to be more knowledgeable about some of the uh, uh, things that our, our, our law needs, so, or as a citizen, what, what we need to know. So I, I've uh, deciding to study uh, paralegal. Oh. I don't know. Sorry? That's great. We're That's very, great. very impressed, Stanley. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I decided to study uh, paralegal next year. I just, so somebody told me about it, but I don't know much more about it. I don't know if maybe you could put me through a little bit more about it. About being a paralegal? Yes. I think it's a much more used um, topic or, or term in the Americas. Um, so you often have legal secretaries that would do a diploma or a similar qualification. They wouldn't be able to appear in court or at the deeds office to execute documents, but they would be able to render legal advice. However, in South Africa, most of our paralegals in terms of in-house legal counsel, so in-house I mean those that work for our big companies and corporates, um, okay. also don't go to court and also don't uh, execute documents in the deeds office. Now, that means you're a legal advisor in South African terms, but you still have a law degree. So most people study paralegal studies who want to be admin staff in law firms. So they um, would have a basic knowledge. They would be able to draft certain documents with the guidance of the attorneys, um, answer basic questions and, and give some basic guidelines, but not really render advice because our law society only governs, my beg your pardon, uh, both um, practicing and non-practicing attorneys non-practicing being your in-house legal advisors and your practicing attorneys being being someone like myself. So um, they cover us in terms of insurance, making sure we do things properly, they regulate our behavior and all of those things. So that's basically why we don't have the similar distinction as, as we see in the Americas with the, the guys with the diplomas and so on. We simply don't have let's call it a policing or regulatory system to cater for that, to be but done for, responsibly. But for Stanley to go and study pa what he calls paralegal studies here, it's still a very worthwhile course Definitely. to do and there can actually be a very great service. Definitely, and, and it could also give you a indication whether you would like to pursue the LLB, which is a much more expensive, much longer course to take, but definitely worth your while um, if you have a passion for the law. So maybe just to get a feel for what you're in for, um, the paralegal course, and I know quite a few institutions offer them, is a good way to start. Okay, okay, okay. No, no, now I, I do understand because that's exactly what the guy told me. But he, he just told me a little bit more more about this uh, this field of study. So, uh, so you know, I want I want to thank you, thank uh, your your show, Karen. So uh, I I think if it wasn't because of your show, I I, I wouldn't have uh, decided to to take this step. step well, Stanley, that's wonderful. Again. That's really great to hear. Thank you so much for letting us know about that, yeah. and wish you much much success. And please do keep in touch and let us know how your studies are going. Definitely. Exactly. So I will, I will be in touch. I will always contact you and tell you exactly how I feel about it. Please do. Great. I'd love to hear from you, Stanley. Keep in touch. You can always drop me an email, law at safm.co.za, and let me know how it's going with you. Okay, okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Stanley. Good night to you.
And just quickly, I want to tell you, I had an email over the weekend as well from a young man who's in grade 12. Oh, really? Who also loves the law report, listens all the time, and he's now going to go and study law next year, actual LLB next year. How oh, fantastic wow. is that? That's great. And he said we inspired him. So that was fabulous. So this is another one. Yeah, this is Makes great. This Monday night story all worthwhile. <laughs> Do you hear that? Nature's food chain in action. Just like a functional food chain, good nutrition depends on healthy diets, and healthy diets require healthy food systems. Let us come together and commemorate in World Food Day on the 16th of October this year. Under the theme, Sustainable Food Systems for Food Security and Nutrition. Healthy people depend on healthy food systems. Brought to you by the Department of Agriculture, Forestry and Fisheries in partnership with Food and Agriculture Organization. The Law Report with Karen Key. And you're listening to The Law Report this evening with my guest, Attorney Nicolene Skuman. And it's an open line, if you like, a law clinic. So anything you'd like to know. On the line, Michael in Cape Town. Good evening. Hi, good evening, ma'am. Hi, how can we help you, Michael? Hi, yes, thanks a lot for trying to assist me. Oh, we'll <laughs> do our best. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, about... A, about two years ago, um, actually, this is something that I found out quite recently. I tried to, after my divorce, I tried to do a substitution of debtor mm-hmm. on my on my bond, and F and B told me that I had a judgment against my name and they can't do the substitution of debtor. And then I asked them uh, who is who took judgment against my name, and they gave me uh, the company which 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 did this. And I contacted the company, and they told me that um, they um, sent um, a guy out to my place, mm-hmm. which uh, which I signed an acknowledgement of debt. And I've never made debt because this was a bank loan from African Bank. Okay. And I never made any debt ever in my life from African Bank. And when I requested the document... Uh, uh, looking at the signature that was that was on this acknowledgement of debt, I found out that it was one of my staff that was working for me that signed this acknowledgement of debt, which was a legal document, and that's how they took judgment against me. Wow. Um, I then phoned, because on the form was the, the person that came to my house, um, and I phoned him, because I, I confronted the staff members, the, the lady that works for me, I asked, I asked her if she knows about this letter, and she said, no, this guy threatened her, saying that if she doesn't sign, he's going to have to keep her liable for the for this loan, which she then signed, and she didn't tell me about oh, How long ago was this, Michael? This was, this was two years ago that this letter was signed. Then, now recently, when I got divorced, I tried to do the substitution of debt mm. with F&B. Yes, you see and with F&B, yes. And they didn't want to help me with finance because me and my wife, my ex-wife was married in community of property, mm. and I had to get the house onto my name now. Yes. Um, when I found this guy, this Henry Haskins guy that that, uh, that let the staff member sign, he was very apologetic. And then I found out that there's a company in Durban which took that judgment against my name, the, uh, it's Antisol. Mm-hmm. When I found them, um, they they said I need to send proof. So I sent them the proof, 
and the, the, the clerk that works in this company, he was very uh, upset with this person that signed it, one of the staff members signed for it. Mm. Then the whole, the whole process, every month I phoned him. This guy from Antiso, he sent me a personal email from his home. I don't know why. But sorry, in this email, Michael, yes. sorry, we've only got about two minutes left. So if you can get okay. quickly so that Nicolene's okay. got some time in to this, answer you. Yes, in this email, he basically says that this company has been doing it to a lot of people. Now, okay. I cannot get debt anyway because I've got this judgment against okay. that I don't even know of. Okay. Well, so. essentially what, what you have to do is appoint an attorney who can bring a rescission of judgment application. You'll set out your entire defense, so to speak, in an affidavit, court papers, and you'll then ask the court to rescind or cancel the judgment. And once that has been done, then you will uh, send that to the credit bureaus who will then um, amend your credit record and you won't have any blacklistings anymore. So key is here to get yourself an attorney and get them to, to draft papers with your entire defense as you've told us now. I, I know I can't do that, but surely those people committed fraud. Sure, and uh, then you'll, you'll uh, institute criminal proceedings in addition. Um, any, I'm sure any good attorney will advise you on that basis. I certainly would have. Uh, if you have sufficient proof, then institute criminal yeah. proceedings against these, these people yeah. on the basis of fraud in addition. But in order for you to go on with your life practically, you have to bring that application. And I would recommend the, that you do that sooner rather than later because of the 10-day period after becoming first aware of it. You have 10 days, this, otherwise this, you need to bring a... Okay, but this you still... You can like, a couple of months because... Okay, Michael, I'm going to... Michael, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry, but we really okay. are run right out of time. And um, okay. just technically, in advice, I think you need to get yourself an attorney. Good luck to you with that. Good night to you. Well, we've come to the end of yet another show. And my thanks once again this evening to Nicolene Skuman, owner and founder of Skuman Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries, public practicing here in Cape Town. And she's been my guest on tonight's edition of the Law Report program. Nicolene, once again, thank you very much. And we won't see you next month. Yes. But... Um, Happy honeymoon and congratulations from Thank all of us so much. on the upcoming nuptials. <laughs> Great. I hope it is a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Next time you see me, I'll, I'll also have a surname change. Yes. But, uh, yeah, so. I'll wait all those exciting things next time. <laughs> Definitely. But next see month we'll be then. joined by her colleague Mzor Chaka for another law clinic on Monday, the 11th of November. The Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And in next week's law program, hopefully, we'll be talking about the Road Accident Fund. That's the Law Report next week, Monday, the 21st of October and I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with health matters so join me then and just a reminder there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page law on SAFM if you'd like any of them post a message on Facebook but please do remember to include your email address so I can send them to you or you could email me directly asking for them and that's law at safm.co.za 